in Seattle. Seattle. You need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to rodandonsitdown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys. What's going on? Welcome to episode 654 now of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, let's talk about this, because it seems like interest rates are starting to come down. So does that mean home prices are about to come down? Also, Ron is on a very incredible trip right now, learning some stuff about World War II. I can't wait to talk to him about it. But before we get to that, let's get to this. First Lady Rosalind Carter passed away a few days ago. By the time you've heard this, probably 10 days ago. Uh, not a lot of people talking about this, Ron. In fact, I watched uh, her her ceremonial, I, I guess, wake the other day, uh, where they honored her. They spoke of her, all her grand, all her grand, all her children, all her grandchildren, uh, actually stepped to the podium at the church and had something to say. It was really amazing. A lot of the first ladies were there, including uh, Mrs. Trump. She was there as well. Uh, some of the presidents who didn't make it, George W. Bush wasn't there, uh, but his wife was. Uh, uh, President Barack Obama was not there, but his wife was. It was interesting, though, to see both of the Clintons. They were there. And, of course, Jimmy Carter in hospice since February, and they wheel him into the church. Such a moving, such a moving moment, I, I think, for a lot of us. What are your thoughts about her? Because a lot of people say, uh, and I believe she passed away at the age of 96, is it? They say that she really modernized uh, what what women not only are allowed to do around the country and allowed the, around the globe, uh, but what they're able to do from the White House in that position, because for a long time it was purely ceremonial, right? Uh, it was really interesting for me to watch this, and it was such a stark reminder, I guess, of of how much things have changed in our lifetime. Like I, re- Jimmy Carter was one of. I think he's the first president that I just have a vivid memory of. I I remember Ronald Reagan for sure, but Jimmy Carter, I remember uh, in in my lifetime. And you think of politics and America and culture and society uh, in those times. And in the span of our lifetimes, things have changed dramatically, especially on the playing field of politics. And I, I, one of the things that kept popping up as I read more and more about Rosalind, and of course, Jimmy would get mentioned in there is how decent of human beings they were um, across all the spectrum. So when you talk about race, gender, income, um, policy, politics, even, uh, you know, going outside the borders of the United States, uh, the one of the words that kept popping up was just that they were decent human beings. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that many people don't care about. Many people don't put a lot of time or effort in thinking about being decent to one another. Um, and I look back at that and just go, wow, what a, what a reminder of maybe an aspiration to, to live a life where you're just decent, where you treat people like he, he was, they, they were golden rule people. 
um, Rosalind and Jimmy and, and look no further. You and I both read a story about uh, Rosalind had a woman that had been convicted of murder in the state of Georgia that she then hired after her wrongful conviction was overturned to be the nanny for, for the child, for Amy um, and brought her to the white house it was very controversial at the time. And she said that this woman who was a woman of color is innocent she was wrongfully convicted, and I trust her. Jimmy trusts her. The American people should trust her, and I'm going to let her take care of my daughter. And so, again, just decency with a capital D. Um, you and I had the pleasure of meeting Jimmy Carter before his health turned on him. And curious, kind, decent, um, just I, I could never imagine the Carters um, – acting anything but in those in those ways what about you yeah yeah well i, re I remember we were in the cairo studios and uh we shared part of this story before we heard that jimmy carter was doing a book tour uh he's written many books this particular book he'd actually had written it was at the beginning of president obama's presidency uh and he wanted him to know more about the middle east and how you can have peace in the middle east so he wrote this book as kind of a, a love note to the new president saying, hey, I want you to understand what's happening there. And I also want you to understand if we don't get involved somehow, some way, there will not be peace in the Middle East. That's why it was so interesting to me that one of the reasons we had a hard time watching the celebration of her life is many of the channels weren't covering it, Ron, because they were covering at the time of her death, the war in the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have said it better than you said right there. And I think... Um, the fact that Jimmy showed up at that service and he had a blanket covering his torso that had a picture embroidered of his wife on the front of them. They're, they're those lucky people in life and you meet them every once in a while that find the love of their life. And it really is the love of their life um, that they just can't it, it can't seem possible that these two people weren't meant for each other wouldn't spend their entire life with each other and you know when you think of the spectrum of marriage and we always talk about the divorce rate and finding your soulmate and all of those things some of which i believe in some of which i don't in the case of these two jimmy and Rosalind, it seems like that was the thing that they were soulmates yeah. and i loved seeing the photographs of them when he was in the military uh, yeah. in his 20s and they met i think she was 19 and he was 21 uh and looking back on those photos is like wow what a what an incredible rise to power for a guy from very humble beginnings yeah and i thought it was really cool and i think it was one of the grandchildren that came up and 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 read a love note that he had written to her while he was in the military uh and it was just a normal everyday mundane day it wasn't her birthday it wasn't the holidays he was just thinking of her and then at the end where he says i love you and he closed it out he said he he basically said more tomorrow he would write her every single day and i think about my own grandparents when when they died uh my grandfather uh, rode horses for Arm and Hammer baking soda. Uh, he was a jockey and he traveled the country in a train uh, with his horse. 
And that's how he met my grandmother. Uh, he was he was a Southern boy. His nickname was Sippy. He was from Mississippi. He happened to be on a train going through a uh, small town just north of Chicago. It's actually where I was born. It's, it's called Waukegan, Illinois. Uh, and he met my grandmother there at a roller rink while he was there to race horses in Chicago. And he started writing her love letters. She would really have nothing to do with him for almost three years. And when my grandmother passed away uh, at 90, I believe she passed away at 96. We we discovered some of those letters that we had never seen before. And I remember sitting around a table with some of my family members, my cousin Debbie and, and my mom and my aunt. And we were reading these rich love letters that he wrote to her and then eventually that she would write to him. And you and I say this all the time. Maybe the three most powerful words in the English language are I love you. But the three most important are to write it down. And isn't it a beautiful thing? Because you couldn't swipe back then. If, if you got in trouble in your relationship, uh, typically you'd kind of work through that. Uh, you wouldn't swipe right or swipe left and, and move on to the next person. The other thing that I think about when I think of her is her ability to really embrace and talk about mental illness. And isn't it interesting in the last part of her life, that's what she faced with dementia, but she had prepared her family for that. And she, she talked a lot about mental illness, uh, that it isn't something where people should get thrown in prison. It's something that we should talk about. And it's also something that we should be brave enough uh, to share with one another. And she really opened the doors I think, Ron, when it comes to old guys like us now, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, feeling comfortable talking about our mental health. And I think Rosalind Carter had a lot to do with that. Yeah. If there was a Mount Rushmore for first ladies, she she might be up on it. Yeah. All right, you guys, don't go anywhere. Coming up on the Ron and Don show, uh, Ron is in Barcelona, Spain right now. What the heck is he doing over there? We'll talk about it on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, I've been telling you about this for probably a decade and a half. It's Les Schwab's free pre-trip safety check. It includes really a long list of visual inspections. So if you're going to be driving around this summer, like I'm going to be doing G-Force and Charlie, stop by a Les Schwab tire center to throw your rig up on the rack and they're going to check out your vehicle. They're going to give you their very best, honest opinion and advice on all your options if there's issues. If they're not, here's the cool thing. They're just going to send you on your way free of charge. The other guys, typically, well, they charge a couple hundred dollars to look at a rig, not at Les Schwab. So schedule your appointment today at LesSchwab.com. You can stop by any location. That's Les Schwab, where they've been doing the right thing since when? Let's say it together, 1952. guys running down here running down real estate just want to emphasize to you we have a lot of great realtor friends that just specialize in a neighborhood so for a lot of my friends that work here in queen anne if you're in bothell uh they punt on that and they say we're not the realtor for you or if you're down in tacoma they're like yeah we can't help we don't drive to tacoma Ron and I drive to Tacoma. We drive to Bothell. In fact, I'm about to drive to Bothell right now. Ron, why do we drive to Tacoma and why do we drive to Bothell? It's bottom line is because that's where the Ron and Don Nation lives, right? Yeah, that's right. We, uh, of course, on the radio for, for many, many years. And so we want to go to where you are. It's a philosophy. We, we said we're going to meet you where you're at. 
whether that's geographically, even in your life phase of where you're at. Let's say you've just had a parent uh, that went into assisted living or passed away. That is where you're at. So we're going to meet you right there, put together a custom game plan for you to get you the best result we possibly can. And I got to say, we've been getting some really good results for people in the Ron and Don Nation this year. And every single year we've been doing real estate. It starts with a sit down. Uh, that's a Zoom call that we're going to do with you to make sure we're a good team and then we're all aligned in the same direction. You go to ronandonsitdown.com. That's ronandonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Uh, Ron is in Barcelona, Spain for a few days. We're going to talk about that. Before we talk about that, though, let's talk about this. Ron, as we speak, the Les Schwab toy drive, it's going on right now, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, we just encourage everyone. You always rise to the occasion, and we are so thankful for it. Uh, when you're out and about, especially local Fred Meyer, maybe you're at Target, uh, pick up an additional toy, unwrapped brand new toy, and then take it to Les Schwab. They're everywhere. You, you, you're When you're driving around, you're going to see Les Schwab. Uh, go in, drop it off. And here's the thing. All of these toys stay with kids in our local communities, uh, 100% of them. All right? If, if you don't have time, you just wanted to give them some cash, you can roll down your window, give them a little bit of cash, but I think it's more fun uh, when you're out and about to buy a toy for a girl or a boy uh, and just make sure that we get our arms around these young people this holiday season and let them know we haven't forgotten about you. You matter. You're going to get some stuff this year. Yeah. And don't forget, as Dave Ross, our colleague from Cairo, always used to say, especially for kids, uh, kids aren't the least of these. And, And sometimes they feel like that, though, when they see other kids getting toys during the holidays. And they don't get anything. So, and some of them are just struggling to survive, to eat, right? Uh, that's why I was so excited for my friend Larry at Mary's place. He's collecting socks the other day. His goal, and he's just a barista at Starbucks, you guys. His goal was to collect 10,000 pairs of socks. He collected over 12,000 pairs of socks. Those numbers came rolling in yesterday. And you know what? It's not about the socks. It's about the symbol, the symbol of those socks. You haven't been forgotten. Same thing with a toy and a child. As Dave reminded us, that toy is a symbol that you belong to all of us. And we have not forgotten you this holiday season. So 84 locations to serve you. Ron said it beautifully. All those toys stay right here in the community. And now more than ever, we need your, we need your help because of inflation with food and toys. It's really tough out there for moms and dads, and especially the single ones. So uh, we just invite you to go to leschwab.com right now find that location and and drop off that toy so hey ron you're doing something really cool for a few days you are over in barcelona spain and you've been learning a little bit about world war ii first and foremost what are you doing in spain that sounds cool yeah, it's um, I like to travel. And so I have uh, I fell in love with Barcelona the first time I was here a little over a decade ago, wanted to come back and give myself an opportunity to explore a little more. I, I had a, a an overnight adventure that I thought would be right up your alley and up the alley of a lot of people who listen to this show because um, it involves a lot of history and uh, World War II and a bunch of other things. So just for people uh, playing along at home. Barcelona is on the southern coast of uh, of Spain, uh, right on the water, and it's a little bit south of France. So if you take a and you go basically almost directly north to the northern coast of Spain, um, there's a, what's called the Basque Country, and it's Bilbao. I went to Bilbao because I wanted to see the the Guggenheim Museum there. It's a world famous building. There's a little town called San Sebastian that's probably the best food in the world. If you ever watched any Anthony Bourdain, he says. 
that was the best food in the world. And so it's just the little strip of land <clears throat> across Northern Africa. And so it, it when they do DNA tests about the Basque country, or they do ancestry things there, their lineage goes back, they think, 150,000 years. It's mm-hmm. They found artifacts going back tens of thousands of years in the Basque country. And Basque is the only language in Europe that's not derivative or not sharing another language. So it's its own thing. It's a very distinct culture, the very distinct um, society. And so uh, I went there and I was just kind of wanting to see the architecture and the food and everything. And ended up driving back with a couple of women who were very proud to be Basque. And they were talking about what it was like to be repressed and be um, sort of not taken very well care of because you were Basque. And so um, I was like, wow, well, I'm pretty ignorant on this. I'm going to look it up, which I did. So jump in here whenever you have questions, because I just think this is fascinating. So we always think of U.S. uh, world history in terms of viewing it through the lens of the U.S., at least I do. Sure. So we go back to the mid-1930s. Um, 1936, you know, uh, the Olympics are in, Ger- in Berlin, Germany. Um, that's the boys in the boat from the University of Washington win the race there. There's a new movie coming out directed by George Clooney on December 25th. So everybody go see that. And so, and then there's, he's on the, the, the drumbeat to World War II, Hitler is. And so meanwhile, over in Spain... You have um, in in the late 30s, 1936 through 39-ish, um, they have an election. The liberals win. There's a guy in the high up in the military named Franco that had worked his way up to being a general and not real pleased with this outcome. So they decide to stage a coup and they want to take this country conservative. They want to take their very Catholic and very conservative. They enter into a, into a war. It's the Spanish civil war. And so unlike the American civil war that happened in the 1700s, this happened in the 1900s, 1936 ish, 37, 38. So uh, Franco ends up winning the civil war. And so part of his agenda is to roll back everything. Women's rights are rolled back. Um, he is going to take out all of his enemies, and he also wants to take the Basque country, and he wants to take Cat- Catalan, the Catalonia. And so he basically invades, he wants to invade Basque and put it under his boot. And um, so he need to, he, he invokes a little help from a guy called Adolf Hitler. It says, hey, can we borrow some of your your, can can you take a, a couple of your planes and go over and bomb this this city uh, in in Basque? Let them know I'm not screwing around. So Hitler says, "Sure, I'll do that," and uh, basically making him an ally with Franco. So they bomb this town. He takes over Basque, and immediately he puts in concentration camps and kills a bunch of the Basque rebels. And he says, you are illegal from this this day forward. It's illegal for you to speak Basque. It's illegal for you to express your culture. You are now Spanish. You're going to be Catholic. And there's going to be no women's rights. There's going to be no uh, birth control. There's going to be no abortion. Uh, Everybody's going to have traditional roles and get on board because this is the way it's going to be. So Franco becomes a dictator uh, in Spain right around 1939, going into 1940. He teamed up with Hitler and Mussolini, but he did not want to be a part of World War II because he had just 
been in this war. They had just mm-hmm. done a civil war. So he's like, I'm out. I, I don't want to do that, even though I'm ruling with an iron fist right now until we stabilize these things. Um, I'm out. Yeah, and, and people should know. Yeah, people should know because of what happened in in our country during World War One and going over there and fighting and the trench warfare that was so violent. Uh, you could compare it to what's happening between Russia and Ukraine right now. We just throw bodies at it. And the American people were out. People in Europe knew that. Churchill knew that. Everyone knew that. So what we're going to do is what we're doing now. We'll supply the bullets and the beans just like we are for, for Ukraine. But, but the American people do not want to get involved in the Second World War. And, of course, Ron Pearl Harbor changed uh, everything. Yeah, so Pearl Harbor then happens. Um, World War II is in full effect, and Germany starts marching across Europe. They take France, they take uh, um, they take Paris, and France, like I said, is very close uh, to Barcelona. It's uh, directly borders Spain, and so you had um, Mussolini, Hitler, and Franco were kind of the three dictators uh, over here in Europe. And World War II progresses. I, I'm not an expert in, in everything that happened in World War II. But the thing that I found super fascinating here is of those three dictators, Franco remained in power into the 1970s. So wow. think about wow. that for a minute. Hitler, of course, dies in that bunker. Yeah. Mussolini, um, when I went to Italy with my brother a couple of years ago, we went to the spot, which is now a McDonald's, uh, where he was hanged by a mob. My brother, that's one of the – give it to my brother. What what sites do you want to see in Italy? Can we go to the spot where Mussolini was hanged by a mob? Okay, fine. And get a, get a, and get a Big Mac. No, we, got a, <laughs> we got a pizza across the street. But so, so Mussolini out pretty quickly as well. Meanwhile, Franco rules Spain – for decades and decades and decades. So through the 40s, through the 50s, through the 60s, into the 70s. And so here's the ironic thing. They had a run where he became a little more moderate. He wanted to get into the EU. He wanted to get into the ally side of the table. And so he had to soften his stance a little bit in 1955. So quite a 15 years or so, uh, you know, 10 years after the war. He gets accepted into the U.N., really softened his stance on being a dictator, but still was very strong, if you will, with the with the people and um, and not allowing a a ton of progress. And so Franco um, has this run of economic prosperity in in post-World War Two, 15 years in a row, he was one or two in the fastest growing economies in the world. So there was a lot of Spaniards that were like, hey, don't love everything he stands for. But man, this economy is cranking. And so that that happens for about 15 years in a row. He tries to think, how am I going to modernize this thing? Because I'm not going to live forever. He didn't have a son. And so he said, I'm going to invent a democratic monarchy. And so he creates a a guy that's going to be the new king. Franco does. And then Franco is going to hand it off to this guy uh, and say, you have to do exactly what I want. I'm going to die, but you just take the baton and you do the Franco way. And the guy's like, absolutely. So Franco ends up dying, hands the baton off to the king. Uh, In short order, he's like, and never mind. I'm going to be modern. He's like, we're going a different direction. So between the time Franco dies in the 70s, if you remember in 1992, the Olympics were in Barcelona. They completely changed this country. 
completely change the politics. Now these women that I was talking to, proud to be Basque, can speak the Basque language again. It's celebrated and embraced in, in around the world. People are flocking to San Sebastian and to Bilbao. Uh, it's one of the, the best cities in the world. Uh, it, it, it's analogous. I was trying to think of an analogy to the United States. Kind of maybe the Navajo Nation had their own language, had their own culture, had their own society, had their own food. The United States comes in and says, "We, you can't do that anymore. And then now, you know, maybe a hundred years later, it's very much a longer timeline uh, in America, but in Spain. So now you go to one of the best countries in the world now in, in the span of the same time frame from World War II to now with a dictator going into, I think, 1975. That just blew my mind. Can you imagine if Hitler was the dictator of Germany into 1975 or yeah. Mussolini was the dictator of Italy into 1975? Like you can't even you can't even fathom it. Yeah. So that's fascinating. How did you end up in a car coming back? uh having having this conversation with them um i found i i inadvertently found this app online where i needed to get from um bilbao to san sebastian which is about an hour and 10 minute drive and there's an app where basically commuters rent out the the, the empty seats in their car and so they're going to make awesome them. yeah so i signed up on this app i paid i think eight or nine euros and I met one woman that was lived in Bilbao and commuted to San Sebastian. So I went to work with her in the morning. And then <laughs> That's great. late that yeah. night, I had another woman that was coming back uh, from San Sebastian back to Bilbao. And I think I paid another eight or nine euros and I rode back. And, though, and she had a college student that was getting her master's degree and both of them were Basque. And so that's when with my really bad Spanish and the, their English was much, much better. We talked about this dynamic and I was like, wow, I'm really ignorant of this. This is a really fascinating part of world history that was a total blind spot to me. And um, I think it's phenomenal that the Basque people are able to speak their language, have their culture, celebrate it, um, and to not feel like that it is illegal anymore. They're going to get punished or thrown in a concentration camp for expressing themselves. Yeah, and I, that's something I love about you because I don't know a lot of people that would go find that app. I don't even know if I'd think to do that. And a lot of times when we travel, we kind of keep our American bubble wherever we go. And we like to stay in places that look like America or we can have a Big Mac. You think a lot of us that travel even down to Mexico, it's there's many Americas everywhere. And I think to say, you know what, I'm going to pull myself completely out of my culture and immerse myself in somebody else's culture. I'm not just going to be an American citizen. I'm going to be a world citizen. I think that's really cool. So uh, Ron, will have more from Barcelona, Spain coming up in our next episode this week of the Ron and Don show. Cause a lot of people, a lot of Americans are becoming expats and a lot of them are becoming expats in a place like Barcelona. So what is it about Barcelona? Again, we'll talk about the next episode, but coming up straight ahead, it seems like interest rates now are starting to come down. We see buyers jumping in. In fact, uh, I'm heading down to Gig Harbor this weekend uh, to work with one of our clients is we're going to jump on the buy side. So let's talk about buying real estate in the great specific Northwest. Next, it's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
Hey, it's Ronald Don here with Mitch Weeks. You know him better as Mitch.loans. Mitch, you have a really cool new product for investors. I think it's kind of the first I've ever heard of it. Yeah, so we have a great new investor cash flow program. And what this is, is we take the house you are buying and we inspect it, not you, the borrower. And so what we do is we look at the house and we say, will it cash flow? If you put 20% down, will it make more money than it's going to cost you to keep paying off your mortgage? And if it does, it's yours. It doesn't matter what you make on your own. It doesn't matter all these other things that we usually have to document. They don't matter. They're gone. It's just, does this house make sense? And if it does, you can buy all right, so you can go up to four doors, up to four units on this. And uh, Don and I have never heard of a product like this. It's pretty exciting if you've been wanting to get into the investment game. So go to Mitch.loans right now. Set up a time to talk to Mitch. See if you qualify for this new program. That's Mitch.loans. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Run of Dawn show. We were all sitting here this summer into the fall of 2023, and we watched those interest rates start going up. As a result of that, did the buyers disappear when it comes to real estate? No. A lot of the sit-downs that we've done with people, and as you know, we're not just broadcasters, but we're your real estate agents as well, because we sell the sound. If you want to meet with us, go to runadonsitdown.com, and we'll sit down with you today. Uh, and then... And then we start seeing these interest rates as inflation slows down, start to trickle down. And they say in the first part of 2024 now, we'll, we'll continue to see those interest rates trickle down, maybe somewhere between 6 and 6.5. And then in 2025, maybe below 6%. So, Ron, what is your thoughts on interest rates coming down? And will we see prices coming down in the Northwest as well? Well, remember, this is a result of what the Fed wants to do. The Fed wants inflation uh, down around 2%. That's their goal. And so inflation was creeping up. And we remember all the news headlines of like, I can't buy a dozen eggs. And oh, my God, like groceries doubled and all, all of that stuff. So there was a bit of a panic in America where we didn't want to have runaway inflation. And so this, the real estate and the mortgage prices is a byproduct of the Fed trying to control inflation. So they've they're they're more optimistic um, about getting that number down. I think it's a little bit around three, maybe a little under three percent right now. So this this has been working. It's been painful. And Jerome Powell said it was going to be painful and he was right. And so it affected just about every industry under the sun. And so I think that your analysis is right. We're going to see this you know come down a little bit lower. People should not think though that it's going to get down to if you or your neighbor or your friend or your coworker is like my mortgage is 2.85%. We're not going to see that. Um, that was artificially low. That was um, induced from this federal government uh, as a response to COVID. And so those rates are not coming back. And so I think the new normal, probably for the next I don't know, foreseeable future, like I don't want to put a time frame on it, but for years and years and years, not months and months, is going to be in that 6% ballpark. It might go a little bit lower, might go a little bit higher, but it's it's not going to be 3%. So people need to, to readjust their price points, readjust what their buying power is, readjust what the market is going to be. Uh, but that'll be good news. And, and I, I actually, I think that is fair. 
I think 6% is fair. If I go out, if I, if I was went to Don O'Neill and I was like, Hey Don, I would like to buy something. Can I borrow $600,000? You would say, okay, what interest rate do you want to pay? If I said, how's about 6% and you're like deal, I, I would feel pretty good about that. Um, and that's essentially what we're going to see going forward. And so I, I think it's going to normalize here in 2024 and we're going to start to see people go, okay, um, I see what's going on. I want to get back into the real estate game. Yeah. And I will say for people that are buyers, and again, I'm heading down to gig Harbor, a friend of mine I went to high school with, she's moving up with her husband and gig Harbor is a place they're interested in. And you and I were looking at some homes there uh, online and we're going to go look at them this weekend. How do you, how do you explain some of those homes are on having price reductions and some of those homes just kind of sitting on the market. This is new. We haven't really seen that. And then how do you think, what do you think will happen when, when, when springtime comes? Well, I mean, I, I think people that were, the algorithms and the information that people have is all backward facing. And so if someone has a, a house in Gig Harbor that's worth, you know, 1.2 million or 1.5 million, something like that, and they're going to look around and say, what, what is my house worth? All that information is looking in the rear view mirror. And so they're going to see houses from 2018. They're going to see houses from 2020. They're going to see houses from 2021 because it's not as dense as a city like Seattle. So there's just not as many comps. If you live on five acre parcels, you know, there might be five houses that have sold in the last three or four years. And so you try to pick a number and then you go, oh, that, that valuation doesn't hold in these current current market conditions. And so I think that just those sellers are having to come to terms with, yeah, it doesn't matter what my neighbor down the street sold for in 2020. I'm, I'm not getting that number. Yeah. And real estate values are, are still going up. They're just not skyrocketing up like we saw during the pandemic with all that cheap money and all that pressure. Uh, I will say for the past couple of holiday seasons, it's not always been a great time to buy because of scarcity. But with some of these homes that are sitting if you're thinking about buying, say this to your mortgage lender. If you call Mitch.loan, say this to him who helped sponsor this podcast and say, hey, look, if I were to buy something during the holidays in 2023 or early 2024, and let's say a year from now, I want to refinance, would you give me a deal on the refinance? And there are mortgage brokers out there to get the deal that will do that. So you can make that uh, deal ahead of time. You really can't. So if you're thinking about you keep hearing, you know, date the rate, but marry the property. It really is true. And I think during the holidays this year, unlike other holidays, I think there are people that are remaining. They're standing on the sidelines. They're waiting for 2024, thinking that the springboard will bring more homes to market, which it probably will. But I think there's a lot of pent up buyers out there, too, that will still drive price. So think about this during the holidays of 2023. Uh, if, if, if somebody has their home for sale right now, it's because they need to sell it. Something happened, right? Somebody passed away or they got a new job and they're transferring or they've gotten a little older and now they're downsizing to a different type of community. Homes that are on the market during the holidays when people are full of the holiday spirit, maybe not 
paying attention, there's going to be less buyers, right? There's going to be less buyers for that those homes. And now is a great time to jump in. And if we can help you, all you got to do is reach out to us, ronadonsitdown.com. And even from Spain, Ron can sit down with us. Uh, and then we can talk and come up with a strategy on going out and buying. Don't forget, we sell the sound. So uh, chances are, if you're somewhere in Washington State, we can help you. And Ron and I are always personally involved uh, in your transaction. All right. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to the show. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Ron will have more from uh, Barcelona, Spain in our next episode. Also, we just want to remind you, if you want to get signed up for the newsletter, Ron, or you want a buyer or seller's playbook, uh, what can folks do? Yeah, you can go to the website, ronanddonsitdown.com, or feel free to email me, ron at ronanddon.com. Yeah, really, really cool. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope your holidays are off and running. Uh, I just watched the Seahawks almost beat the Cowboys last night. Uh, and then tonight, uh, we're recording on a Friday. This will come out on a Monday. Uh, ron, real quick, what do you think is going to happen with the Huskies tonight on a Friday night? taking on the Oregon Ducks. Oregon Ducks are favored by nine and a half. If you've seen the Ducks play lately and you've seen the Huskies play lately, I can understand why on a neutral field down in Las Vegas. How do you see the game? Uh, I think it's going to come down to the last possession. I think it's going to be one of those games where whoever with five seconds left, are going to get a field goal to win it. Yeah. Are you able to watch it in Barcelona? It's kind of in the middle uh, of the night. It's, yeah, I'll be going to sleep after we finish recording here. <laughs> I'll have to see the highlights tomorrow. Yeah. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time, don't forget to stop by Les Schwab, drop off that toy. You keep your head up and your shoulders back because you've been listening to the Ron and Don Show live from Seattle, Washington, and live from Barcelona, Spain on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only. 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. We'll be right back.